And welcome back, everybody, to Double Down with Breslow, where we cover everything in the wild and crazy business of sports betting that is booming across the country. We've got new news coming out of Florida, where it looks like Florida is going to finally join the party. Uh, if things work out the way they, they, they like, we'll be talking about that a little bit in this episode and in other episodes, a uh, recent court decision that appears to permit Florida to finally move forward with sports betting. Today, we're going to talk about where it all started, which is New Jersey, and we've got one of the best people we could get on to talk New Jersey, and that is Eric Weiss, who is currently the president of North America for Odds On Compliance. And he was formerly many, many, many years. We won't say how many. We don't want to date him. But he was there a long time at the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement. Uh, ultimately, his uh, last position there was Deputy Executive Director before he moved on and is now at Odds on Compliance that helps various sports betting companies uh, comply with all the regulations that Eric used to help put in place. Eric, thanks for coming on the program. Yeah, it's good to be here, Jim. Um looking forward to the conversation yeah eric's just back from a big trip to singapore uh why don't you tell everybody just quick snippet of what was going on in singapore yeah singapore i was there for g2e asia i was uh, asked to speak on the topic of esports and for those of you that kind of don't know what esports is it's gambling on video games kind of like any other sport that you can gamble on and um so there was a, a, a panel talking about how sports has grown tremendously in the United States and esports is, has grown betting on esports has grown in um you know European nations and overseas but it hasn't taken off as quickly in the United States and the panel was talking about some of the challenges there but um it was a well attended conference and it was a great experience being in south you know south china southeast asia and um yeah, I was asked to be uh, on a panel there and uh, spoke on, you know, like I said, esports. I imagine you were staying at, uh, what is the property? Wasn't it a Sheraton, the two towers with the pool on top? Yeah, that's the uh, Sands Marina Bay. It's got three towers. It's, it's a beautiful property. Um, it's got, yeah, it's, it looks like a surfboard on the top. It has an endless swimming pool that kind of oversees the South China Sea. Pretty spectacular view and a, and a great property for a vet and a great venue. And what does that casino look like? Compare it to people are just curious, compare it to, say, you know, a casino you'd walk into in Vegas. How is it different if it is? Yeah, it's significantly different, right? You need the first of all, you have to be ID. There's a line to get in and, and you have to have a passport to get in there. Does that um, mean that they don't allow locals? They residents? do allow locals, but it's the scariest. I think locals have to pay an extra fee to get in. I'm not sure exactly the, the process there, but they, they take their gambling a lot more serious. It's more like business. When you, when you see the people in there playing, you know, the card games and, and craps and and slot machines, they're there and it's serious. They're focusing on what they're doing. There's no bars and restaurants and entertainment. It's just gambling. Um, very different kind of atmosphere than what you see in the United States. Yeah, Vegas probably wishes they could have that those type of gamblers. <laughs> probably. Where do you think that most of them are from? Oh, they're from, from all over. Um, I think they get a lot of visitation from China, but geographically, they, there's a lot of um, wealthy 
people, uh, whether it's through the Middle East and whether it's China, but then there's also Australia that's not far away from there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they come from all over the world. It really is a melting pot. Uh, Singapore is it's it's was surprising to me. It's it's a 100 percent English speaking. They, they learn English as their primary language, all the restaurants and menus and everything are in English um, and they welcome the world. Yeah, I had forgotten that. I knew there was one Asian uh, country that spoke English. I forgot that it's Singapore. So when yep. you're driving around, you're not seeing all the unusual lettering that uh, would be so confusing to most Americans. No, but the the only downside is a 21-hour flight from the East Coast. And uh, that was a little bit challenging. But other than that, it was a fantastic trip. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned before we started that you flew t- through, uh, what, Dubai? Uh, Qatar. Qatar. Yeah. I would have, I wouldn't have guessed that you fly to the east. I mean, you know, from LA, we for sure we would fly west. But that just tells you that Singapore is pretty much the other side of the world as as far as you can get. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's actually twelve hours difference. So if it's eight a.m. here, it's eight p.m. there. There you go. Yeah, it took a little while to get. So so you mentioned esports. We've been covering that on the program. Did I hear you say that betting on esports is actually? bigger in some other countries already yeah well esports as an industry is huge all over the world um but yeah betting seems to have taken off much better better um in the european countries and it really took off during covid right when when sports were shut down and in-person kind of things shut down all over the world and but people could still play video games online and challenge each other and be able to play in online tournaments and things like that and it allowed uh you know sports books to create markets for those events and to offer their customers something to wager on interesting so the big boys so to speak in europe the the big sports betting companies they are already accepting esports wagering absolutely well we we accept it in the united states as well um, but there's there's certain challenges. Not every jurisdiction in the United States accepts it. I think there's like 15 or 16 that expressly authorize wagering on esports. So that's one challenge. Some states don't want people wagering on esports for whatever reason. There's policy decisions there. Um, but is the that something thing- that's been allowed from the beginning in New Jersey? It has been, yeah. Um, but later on, I forget. So we launched in 2018, and there were changes to make it easier to wager on esports. For instance, in the beginning, no no contestant in event in an event could be under the age of 18. Um, in esports, you have professionals that are 16 year olds, 15 year olds. So the law was changed to say that the predominance of per- participants have to be over the age of 18 in an event for you to wager on it. So that was one change that occurred in New Jersey. And the other one, there was just clarifying language that made it very clear that esports was something that you can wager on because some um, online operators questioned the way the law was written. So the law was changed. I forget what year it was, but made it very clear and it allowed for more flexibility when it came into the events that could be wagered on. Yeah. So, you know, whenever a a state approves what we broadly talk about as sports betting, then you got to get under the hood a little bit to see how they define sports betting. Right. So, for instance, and I don't know if you know this, but in every state that has approved sports betting so far, have all of them approved betting on college sports? 
No. Um, no. So that's th these are all policy decisions. This is something that um, is not unique to the United States. Every country, every jurisdiction that authorizes sports betting has their own rules with regard to what can be wagered on and what limitations are placed on those things, right? So in New Jersey, for instance, you cannot bet on a college game that occurs in the state of New Jersey. You can't bet on a college game that involves a New Jersey college team, right? Some jurisdictions, it doesn't matter. And some jurisdictions don't want you betting on college altogether. Um, then there's the process of being having an event authorized for wagering. So for instance, some jurisdictions limit it to just sports betting in the traditional sports betting sense. Like I said earlier, you can't bet on esports in some jurisdictions. Um, but some jurisdictions allow you to bet on events like New Jersey. Like for instance, you can bet on the uh you know the uh the Emmy Awards or an award show if the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement has evaluated it and determines that it's suitable for you to wager on. And have they done so? Yeah, they have. Um, yeah, I don't know if it was the Emmys or the Oscars, I, I, but what New Jersey does and many jurisdictions do, they publish a catalog of events and leagues and things that you can wager on. And it's listed on their website on the events that have been authorized. And with eSports, with e that list is growing. The challenge is that in order for an event to be wagered on, right, you need to go through this process of showing that there's governance, that it's regulated from the standpoint of, you know, there's rules that the participants can't wager, um, that the the outcomes of the events can be verified, that there's a governing body. All of these things cut, get taken into effect, the reputation of the event. And each state has its own process for evaluating that and saying, yeah, you can wager on an event. Um, so the challenge for esports, going back to that conversation, is that a lot of those events are, that people want to bet on are usually just, you know, those large scale events that occur, you know, once a year. So there's not a lot of content for people to gamble on um, when some jurisdictions are allowing just those large-scale events, while others are allowing wagering on season-long events that are esports. So again, it all—it's all up to the ind individual regulator and the process used for authorizing sports betting. Mm -hmm. What about simulated sporting events? I think this is a thing in Europe where yeah. it's just a simulated horse race, right? And yeah, yeah would New Jersey allow that? Sure, we have allowed it. For instance, believe it or not, there's these um, simulated events, horse racing that exists right on the casino floor. There's these little uh, statues of horses that run around a physical track that you can bet on. Um, there's simulated baseball, basketball, all kinds of different sports, and they just show clips of it and you can wager on the outcome of that clip. And really all you're seeing is something that's it, it's it's an outcome that's determined by a random number generator, typically um, similar to a slot machine. So it's a random event. It's a wager. It's typically a casino wager and not a sports bet. So if you were going to see that wagered on, you'd see it on the casino floor or you'd see it on online, but it would be online through a jurisdictions that authorizes 
buy casino rather than you know interesting so you're you're saying that's a simulated sporting event let's stick with a horse race because that's the simplest i think to to comprehend is really falls within the jurisdiction of casino not sports betting yeah exactly uh-huh. Because what the outcome's about- determined by a random number generator, just like a slot machine. I mean, this, you know, so the it's not based upon a true event. Uh-huh. Do you happen to know what company is kind of the leader in providing that? I, I was I remember hearing about a company that was in uh Europe. Was it Intain? Did was Intain doing that? Entain is a is a is a company that is um in sports betting, but they may offer um simulated sports but i can't remember who who was the leader honestly i've been out of the regulated space um in since uh, 2021 trying to remember i mean i remember hearing that you know they would keep a track record of how the horses performed in this last 20 races and somehow that that would play into things i don't know exactly how that works once you're talking about a random number generator yeah, so so the what what we've seen some companies do, they try to come up with a mechanism to allow you to handicap um based you know based upon certain characteristics and they may simulate a um a rainy wet track versus a dry track and kind of allow betters to look at histories of the, the simulated jockey and the horse itself so then how it's performed historically to kind of give you the feel of actually wagering on an event um but again those are factors that are taken into consideration of the outcome and who wins but they're not something that you can use to accurately predict who's going to win just like in a real horse race you can't do that i mean if you could it's somehow yeah well cer- certainly a hell of a lot easier than putting on a a real uh horse race because <laughs> yeah, absolutely the, the the cost associated with that is just enormous when you look at the size of these these racetracks that are unfortunately you know dropping one by one you've got of course the problems with the horses themselves and injuries and people getting worked up about that you know and un- un- unfortunately it appears to be a dying sport what give, give, give me just you know new jersey's got a lot of tracks give us just your two cents on that industry what, what what do you see happening to the horse race industry over the next say 10 years i don't think new jersey is any different than any other state i think what's different in new jersey is that um sports betting has kind of helped you know, keep these companies, their racetracks in business, whether it's Monmouth Park or Freehold um, in New Jersey, the people that are the companies that are authorized to offer sports betting are casinos and racetracks, horse tracks. So that's kind of, you know, saved them from the standpoint of revenues because revenues nationwide have been declining and continue to decline. Um, New Jersey, forget there's been a couple of years now that have authorized fixed odds betting on horse racing and that's kind of something that was seen as being a positive that would help revitalize the tracks but it's still the schools out whether or not it's having a big effect on revenues for the sports books yeah we've been seeing this for a long time now where horse tracks are getting propped up by casinos they're either being propped up because they directly are allowed to have slot machines which then the revenue from that can support the horse racing or where casinos are required to give a percentage of their revenue that just goes straight to the tracks, right? Yeah, well, yes, exactly. And in New Jersey, New Jersey's racetracks cannot have any kind of casino gambling or 
slot machines. However, like I said, they can have sports betting. And I think Monmouth Park at one point must have been the busiest, one of the busiest uh, racetrack uh, sports betting books in, in the country or in the world for that matter, or, or Meadowlands, I mean, not, not Monmouth, Meadowlands, because of its close pro- proximity to New York City. It just it was amazing how many people showed up to bet on sports. And that's all gone now because New York allows online? No, believe it or not, they're still busy. People are still coming and visiting. And, um, you know, obviously New York had an impact on um, New Jersey, but we've had our own with regard to revenues. I mean, we're still in the top top three or top four as far as gross gaming online and, and sports betting um, nationwide. Well, I love I, I love horse racing. I was raised on it going as, as a kid, but I'm not a big fan of propping it up. I think that industries need to figure it out on their own. And, um, you know, they kind of screwed it up with television at the outset because they didn't want to be <laughs> on TV. And turns out being on television, if you're, if you're a sports league, is the best possible uh, source of revenue you could have. We need to take our break, and then we'll be back. We'll be picking up our conversation with more with Eric Weiss, president of Odds on Compliance. You're watching and listening to Double Down with Trust. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Hi, it's Lauren the Better, and you're listening to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network. And welcome back, everybody, to Double Down with Breslow, talking to Eric Weiss, president of North America for odds on compliance and a longtime director at the Division of Gaming Enforcement in New Jersey. Uh, I want to pick up on esports before we wrap up. A couple follow-up questions. First of all, any idea percentage-wise how well it's doing in Europe? Like, is it 5% of bets are on esports or 10% of bets? How big is it? I'd be reluctant to say what percentage. Um, It's still a small percent of sports betting. Um, It's just another amenity for uh, sports books to offer. One of the the challenges, too, is for for them to develop um, the the betting and the odds and and like the odds makers and the sports books overseas and in the United States. There's a long history with, you know, traditional sports. Um, the esports is still evolving, they're still learning, so there's limited amounts of money that you can wager on it. But, um, they're getting getting much better. Like the in game stuff, too, kind of it's really important to have access to official data in order to do the in game stuff, like how many headshots somebody's going to have, or in a, a first shooter type game, 
or, you know, kind of runs the gamut on the type of wagers that you can wager on in a, in a esports event, whether it's a baseball, traditional baseball game or football game that you're playing against each other, or it's kind of like a Mortal Kombat or a Halo uh, contest. There's all kinds of in-game wagering that you can offer that fans of esports want to be able to bet on. So you really need the technology to evolve and the traders to evolve so that they can put lines on those things effectively uh, so that the sports books can make money. We're talking about what the states authorize when they loosely approve sports betting. Then you got to get into the weeds as to what, what that is. What about in-game sports betting? If you look at a state-by-state, state, are there any limitations out there as far as when it comes to a sporting event? what regarding that sporting event you can bet on most people think of it being i'm going to bet on who's going to win or lose but we know today you know people are betting on you know all kinds of little things yeah it, it those those in-game events really make it fun and um it allow for micro wagers so you don't have to put a lot of money on an event it allows you to bet on a whole bunch of things during an event some of the fun ones, like at the Super Bowl, they they the color of the Gatorade that's going to be poured on the coach at the end of the game can be a, a type of wager. But essentially, it's this is what I said earlier. Every state has its own rules, the risk tolerance, the perception issues um, on what they'll allow to be offered in their specific state or jurisdiction. So it really comes down to, you know, the catalog and list of events that people will, jurisdictions will allow you to wager on. but. Um, is New but Jersey really generally considered one of the broadest as far as I think New Jersey are? is pretty liberal. I think New Jersey does a really good job of balancing um, the risk associated with it. Obviously, they're not going to allow you to to wager on politics, which is in most jurisdictions are just absolutely prohibited. OK, hold on. That, that was in my notes here to ask you. So <laughs> stop right there. What's the deal with politics? Why, why not allow betting on politics? Um, I think the optics are just bad. It's just, it's just something they look, they're, they're not willing to accept. The other thing they're not willing to accept is something like a death pool, like someone who is going to die in the next year or the next person who will die. Um, those kind wow, of things. You're telling are, me we still have some morals in this country. Is that yeah, they're, they're, those are considered in bad taste. And <laughs> it's not something you want to mess with when it comes to politics. Just keep that out of sports. Keep sports, sports uh, and events, events for fun and not more of those kind of things. Yeah. That might have. I mean, I guess I hadn't thought that much about it. I, I guess, you know, if you're talking about encouraging people to fix a game, which is what the league supposedly for so long had been so desperately afraid of, even though now we've embraced sports betting. Yeah. If you think about fixing a political outcome, um, that obviously gets a lot more serious. However, you know, at the end of the day, as long as you're only allowing a max bet of, say, a thousand bucks, I don't think somebody's going to fix a uh, I mean, already we have two parties trying to fix <laughs> political races as it is. So, yeah, I don't think being able there. to bet on it is going to change much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is there any state that allows it as far as you know? Not that I'm honestly, I'm not aware of any states that are aware of wagering on the two yeah. things that I had. I've made. seen it on some of your, you know, gray uh, offshore betting sites yeah no and actually overseas they allow i i think they they allowed wagering on the u.s presidential election in uh in the in the uk what what other little oddities does new jersey allow people to to, to bet on besides say the oscars and that type of thing any other 
Yeah, so the, the one of the interesting ones was um, Nathan's hot dog eating contest, um, which is held in the United States and I mean in New Jersey, it's a sport. Missouri Park. It's a sport. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I actually watched a little bit of it. Man, the way they talk about these guys is as if they're athletes. You know, I'm not <laughs> sure I'm willing to to go there, but yeah, but basically it's a contest. So um, I mean, Olympics is, is good to go, right? Yeah, Olympics is one of those is a sport that's expressly authorized, even though they do have contestants that are under uh, 18, they still are allowed to wager on the Olympics as an event and kind of team sports and individuals. And I imagine there's always going to be a line drawn between college and high school. Yeah, absolutely. The the age um, issue comes into play with regard to the policy. You can't bet on where contestants or the majority of contestants are under the age of 18. So that would eliminate all high school sports and anything below high school. And what about the minimum age to bet? Where does that stand in New Jersey? And are you seeing states experimenting with different ages? No, it's uh, 21 in the state of New Jersey. I can't remember. The, there's a couple of states that authorize it at 18. I can't remember off the top of my head which ones there are. It's kind of like along the lines of fantasy sports. Fantasy sports allow the age of 18 to to place a wager in, in, in a fantasy event. Uh-huh. So sports betting itself is 21. Uh-huh. So a fantasy, generally speaking, across the country has been 18, though? Yeah, it has. And isn't, New Jersey isn't lottery typically 18, 18 for the lottery too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, semi-interesting as something that states could look at experimenting with. I mean, you know, if you got lottery and you got fantasy at 18, not a big stretch to say 18 year old can sports bet. Yeah. I, I think there's general concern and, and this becoming more of a concern uh, as Sports betting grows across the United States, and you see it more in Europe. There's a concern of responsible gaming, right? People that kind of get out of control with their wagering and can't control it. The protections that are built in in the United States, almost every jurisdiction allows you to limit, especially from an online standpoint, if you're betting online, to limit the amount of your wagers, how much you can deposit, how much you can wager, how long you're online and things like that. So there's there's protections that are built in, but to lower the gambling age, that just it, it just becomes a social concern, I think, for a lot of um, regulators and legislators around the country and, and around the world, really. You're, you're seeing um, a lot of concern with regard not only responsible gaming, but also the proliferation of advertising. I mean, you can't turn on the TV today without seeing a sports betting advertisement. And I think you're seeing different jurisdictions um, starting to crack down on that. Talk about that for a second. Um, are you saying that some states are actually limiting the number or, or, well, they're, or how they're talking sports betting about can, it. can advertise? Yeah, they're ta- starting to talk about it. You're seeing like Maine came out with regulations with regard to when you can advertise on TV. Um, there's regulations in many states that say you can't advertise on a college campus in Almost all jurisdictions, there's requirements for disclaimers and to have things in there to say, if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER, for example, uh, things like that. So they're, they're regulating certain aspects of marketing. There's, you know, you, you can't advertise, you can't have targeted marketing to someone's on a, on a uh, self-exclusion list or is taking a time out from gambling in, in the online space in New Jersey, for example. 
Um, in some jurisdictions, if you're you you can't have celebrities promoting sports betting. So there's all kinds of stuff out there. Again, it's a patchwork uh, across the country, and you're starting to see more talk. And if you pay attention to kind of the articles, uh, legislators are, are really starting to have concerns over the amount of of advertising that's out there, and really concerns about targeting younger folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've thought a lot about advertising uh, originally in in the lottery space because. I think the whole concept behind lotteries was that, hey, this is going on anyway. The numbers racket is happening and we might as well legalize this tax and regulate it. Um, But, gee, is part of that meaning promote the hell out of it, encourage as many of our (laughs) residents to play the lottery? You know, but that's what you see in a lot of states where, I mean, sometimes the lottery is one of the biggest advertisers uh, pre sports betting. Yeah. Now sure. you see it with sports betting where it's just off the charts, the amount of advertising. And but sports betting arguably was kind of the same concept that, well, gee, we know it's already going on. Why keep it underground? Let's bring it in the, uh, into the light. You know, you're less regular, less likely to have you know nefarious things going on if you legalize it. But does that mean we want to advertise the, the heck out of it? Yeah, no, I agree. And, and that that's all true about bringing sports, you know, sports betting to light, right? I mean, I think that uh, historically, you know, sports betting is not looked at as gambling as much from the standpoint of of being a, a an issue for for legislators for the most part. Hat, hat. So therefore, I think you're seeing a lot of states come on board and authorizing online sports betting. But when you look at online casino betting, that's viewed a little bit differently from a legislative standpoint, right? I, I think there's bigger concern with regard to online casino. Um, and that's the reason you've seen sports betting kind of take off on the online side while online casinos kind of stayed in the back burner. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, a responsible gaming concern? Yeah, the societal impact. I think, you know, like I said, you know, everyone's played a block pool historically, you know, everyone has friendly wagers with their friends on, I think the Eagles are going to beat the Cowboys or whatever. I think that generally it's accepted in in fantasy sports is something that everybody has kind of played throughout the country and has different, you know, you know, leagues that they participate in. So people are just generally comfortable with that. And, and then you have, you know, like the, the season long, you might be able to bet on the Eagles to win the Super Bowl this year. So you place a wager and then you wait for it to occur. Whereas legislators, look at the ability to have a slot machine on your cell phone and being able to gamble on it as having slightly more risk from the standpoint of responsible gaming right yeah i mean i would think uh, you know you know in a vacuum you would think holy cow it's a lot more risk slot machines we know can be pretty darn addictive to certain people and if you at least have to go to a casino to play it used to be you have to travel a long ways to go to a casino to play. Now they're usually pretty close by, but now you're talking about bringing it into your house. So tell us, New Jersey, correct me if I'm wrong, has had slot machines in people's homes now through online gaming for quite some time. Tell us about that. And what are you guys seeing as far as responsible gaming when it comes to people sitting at home playing the one-armed bandit? That's a good question. So that was, so when I was 
working for New Jersey as a regulator, I ran our slot lab. And what that meant is I was responsible for all of the gaming technology that was used in the state of New Jersey. Um, and so in 2013, just leading up to that and the launch of online casino, we were doing a lot of research and, and investigating like policy with regard to issues that we were going to face. And one of the things that was a, is, was a concern and still is for New Jersey and other regulators is responsible gaming issues. So what we built in was a whole bunch of different protections for customers. Um, one there, you know, the, you have to be over 21, first of all, that we talked about that earlier, but in order to create an account, you have to go through a KYC process so that before you can gamble online, the operator has to know who you are and verify your identity. And that allows you that allows them to enforce restrictions, right? So you can only have one account per operator. And if, for instance, you think that you have a, a problem with gambling, you can self-exclude from online from one year to five years and that prohibits you from gambling on any online website in the entire state of New Jersey. We also required you to be able to limit your deposits, whether it's a daily limit, weekly limit, or monthly limit. We allowed you to limit the amount of time you can spend gambling daily, weekly, or monthly, and the amount that you are willing to lose daily, weekly, or monthly. So we give you all these ways to be able to kind of control your wagering. That's um, interesting. Let me just ask a question about that. All of that yeah. is voluntary, right? Yeah. Has anyone considered making it mandatory? So in other words, when I set up my account, you are required to st to put a number in there as to the most that you're willing to lose per week, month, what have you. It's, it's not something they're requiring at this point, but I'll tell you something. So New Jersey is constantly evolving, right? Under Dave, the director Rebuck and the team in New Jersey, they're constantly looking at ways to enhance things. And one of the things they've recently done has come out with a mandate that casinos implement something called best practices with regard to predictive modeling. So there's certain things you can look for in the way people wager, like things like chasing losses, um, oh, I do that. <laughs> right. So you're, on, you're on a losing streak and then you bet double or triple to make up for it real fast. Yeah. And that, that's a sure <laughs> way to get yourself into trouble. Right. So so things like that. So they've mandated them to put in tools to be able to do predictive modeling so that not necessarily say that you have a gambling problem, but there's a potential there. Right. So it forces the operators to do at least to do a reach out. Right. If they see something that looks off, like they could be in trouble or at risk. So that's an example of kind of how New Jersey's adapted their regulations and are really forward thinking with regard to um, this topic. Mm -hmm. And so bottom line, have there been studies? What are we learning from, from the fact that yeah. New Jerseyans now have slot machines in their homes? Are we seeing a big uptick in uh, addiction problems? So that, that's another interesting one. New Jersey... Um, contracts has a contract with um, uh, Rutgers University and they do a prevalence study every year to evaluate people that actually self-exclude and take advantage of the um, responsible gaming features 
that are available to them and they do things like interviewing um, surveys and things like that. And they haven't concluded there, there really has been a significant increase. I don't even know if there was like, I think it was a proportional increase to the amount of revenue that was generated due to having sports betting and online gambling, but has not demonstrated that online gambling has resulted in any kind of significant increase with regard to responsible gaming and um, the ability to, you know, to have problem gambling. Yeah. Well, that's great. You know, you, you never know until you try. And then when you try, you can always adjust kind of what you're saying they're doing, you know, yeah. if we need to adjust the self-exclusion or make it mandatory or whatever, but the beauty is to try it and, and see how it turns out. You know, we're trying it right now with marijuana. Um, <laughs> and you know, I don't know how, what the studies are showing as far as increased addiction to marijuana and the pluses and minuses of making things legal in general. I always believe that it's always better to have things legal if possible because you can tax and regulate it and takes the black market out of it and a ton of crime associated with that black market. And same thing goes with sports betting. So um, anyway, we, we got to wrap up. I want you to yeah. tell everybody where they can find you and, and, and what you're doing now and, and, and what odds on compliance is. Yeah, sure. So odds on compliance, we're a full service consulting company. We help companies large and small kind of navigate the patchwork of regulations that we talked about, right? Every state has its own licensing requirements, technical compliance issues, audit requirements. And we kind of were there to help you figure out the differences between states, whether you're new to a regulated jurisdiction or an existing operator that wants to target another jurisdiction, we can help you do that, right? We can help you not only target, but get you launched. Um, we also provide operational support. We can perform audit for you. We can do change controls. We can do payment processing, um, uh, fraud management, uh, chargeback processing. We can do provide a whole bunch of services and support, especially for companies that are challenged that have experienced a lot of turnover or are just too small to be able to, to um, kind of have full support in all of these areas, right? We, we employ people like myself that are former regulators, uh, former, you know, independent test lab testers, uh, former gaming regulators um, and, and gaming attorneys. So we have a very deep bench with regard to staff. We also have a technology product that allows you to do your own independent research. We take regulations from all over North America, put them into a searchable database that is uniform. And you're able to, we're able to implement artificial intelligence. I call it like Google for compliance. So you can ask it questions and it'll give you answers about the different jurisdictions that you're researching. And we've recently added 31 countries in Europe to the playbook application. So um, yeah, we're like I said, we're a full service technology company and uh, we've experienced tremendous amount of growth since in the two years we've been in existence and you can find us at oddsoncompliance.com awesome awesome oddsoncompliance.com yep eric weiss uh last question i i, I wanted to wrap up with uh because it occurred to me we were talking about the um states looking at, at banning the advertising or doing something with the advertising i was thinking all it would take is one state to let's just say it said no sports betting on television, no sports betting ever. It would really screw up these sports leagues, right? Because you have all these national broadcasts that have DraftKings all over the thing. I mean, even when you're watching the game, they're talking about DraftKings and there's ads for DraftKings and so on. And then it's the first commercial is about DraftKings and those are national ads. So one state could really muck all that up. 
Yeah, and, and that's why it's really important for the industry to proactively recognize and self-regulate, right? They, because what you don't want is a knee-jerk reaction by a legislator or a jurisdiction that takes some kind of action that could irreparably harm the industry, right? You, you, you got to strike a balance there. And I know that it's a topic of discussion at just about every conference that I go to. Um, they're talking about the need to do that. And I, I think I think that at least so far, we've taken a pragmatic approach in the United States. Um, we've learned our lessons from what's happened in Europe, and Europe's kind of taken that knee-jerk reaction right now. And if you're paying attention to what's going on over there, they're they're putting very restrictive limits on advertising and wagering. Um, and, and hopefully, the operators are paying attention and take you know, the appropriate action here in the United States to avoid that kind of scenario. Interesting. Well, yeah, thus far in the U.S., sports betting is the one thing that red states and blue states seem to be agreeing upon. We're all coming together in support of sports betting. So let that be a model for the people on the left and the right that we can come together on some issues. Eric Weiss, yep. thanks so much. Glad you are able to come on and love to have you on again uh, soon sometime. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Jim. All right, and thank you all for watching and listening to Double Down with Presslow. We'll be back soon with another episode. Take care, everyone. I want you to smash that like button. <laughs> <laughs>